It's been a difficult year for British retailers, so an IPO from this sector was pretty unexpected. But understanding the dynamics of market newcomer quiz is crucial in understanding why the company chose now to turn itself public. Today in the studio, I'm joined by Chief Financial Officer Gerald Sweeney and Chief Commercial Officer Sheraz Ramzan. And they're here to discuss why, unlike much of the market right now, they believe the future is bright for retail. So by way of a brief introduction, Quiz is a fashion company selling women's clothes, accessories and shoes. And while most consumers might be familiar with the online nature of the business, it might surprise people to know that there's a substantial physical estate too, largely via concession. Everyone knows online sales are increasingly important and market leaders ASOS and Boohoo are wiping the floor with traditional retailers. But is there a reason that you think there's still value in having both formats available to customers? Yes, so we are an omni-channel brand. We're operating through a number of channels, including physical standalone stores, department stores, international franchises, and through a number of online channels as well. Um, We believe that it's important to have a a flexible and dynamic route to market to to serve our customers uh, uh, through whichever channel they wish to shop in. And uh, we've developed those channels to be very flexible. Uh, We've taken a low-risk and uh, low-cost approach to serving our, our customers in those channels. Gerard, you were saying that obviously the concession business and the online business work hand in hand. And I know you've mentioned to me in the past, but maybe you can tell the listeners what the split is between those two businesses. Yeah, there's approximately uh, two thirds of the business we do is done through our own standalone stores or concessions, uh, which are in the UK and Ireland. Uh, Obviously, that leaves a third, which is either our online business or internationally uh, based business with franchises across 20 countries. And certainly as far as the future is concerned, we see the growth in the business being focused on the online and international side. And does that have a sort of lot to do with why you decided to time the IPO now? Everyone knows that once you're a public company, obviously that increases your access to capital. You yourself have net proceeds of around nine million to use now. And I suppose investors will want to know where a lot of that money is going to be channeled. Certainly the business uh, has historically uh, funded itself from the cash generated internally. And that extra nine million will allow us to turbocharge the growth over the next few years. Approximately two thirds of that will be allocated to uh, marketing activity to grow the online sales in the UK as well as to expand in, uh, internationally to have our own sites uh, with the first of them uh, starting in Spain this month and uh, we've got plans to expand out from there. The remainder of the funds will help extend the range of product that we can provide to customers as well as uh, provide some spend for infrastructure in the business to support that growth. Let's talk about product for a minute because I feel like that sort of th- category is sometimes overlooked when people discuss the success of retail companies. A lot of it has to do with margins and costs and and they get sort of bogged down in the financial detail before they understand whether or not the product itself is actually desirable. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast might think, well, ASOS exists, Boohoo exists, Misguided exists. Misguided is actually itself experimenting with Mm. physical retail now, isn't it? So the question is, what is it about Quiz's products which are different enough to demand attention? Well, we're very, very focused on product and uh, we think it's very important for every brand to have a strong USP. Uh, we are a, a very glamorous brand. We are a destination brand for occasion. We are going out where and, and for women who want to dress up during the day or in the evening. And what we say to our customers is if you want a basic pair of jeans or a basic item, don't come to quiz. If you want to dress up, look fantastic, go to an event and uh, stand up from the crowd at great value for money, then come to quiz and, and, and we'll give you that. 
And this feeds quite nicely then into some financial sort of metrics, because I think we discussed briefly already um, margins of the business, which you have said are some of the best going, aren't they? Yes, so we're achieving um, some of the highest uh, gross margins in the industry. And part, well, a large part of that is down to our business model. We operate on very short lead times. We've got a very fast fashion supply chain through our network of um, sources in the UK and internationally, in particular in the Far East, where we we deal with a lot of factories. Because of that short and very fast supply chain, we're able to react very quickly to trends. Uh, we can identify trends throughout the season. We can capitalise on them, bring them back into the business quickly, and that allows us to achieve very uh, very strong margins and sell through on, on full price product uh, which offsets any reductions or promotions that we do in season to clear whatever slow selling product that there may be. I think lead times is, a, is an interesting point but let's let's talk more broadly about the supply chain because I think this is where a lot of um, fast fashion companies have sort of tripped up this year and it's not really been their fault it's been the pound's fault. The pound has obviously weakened substantially against the US dollar since the referendum last year and although it's starting to come back some people think um, it's put a spanner in the works in terms of input costs for a lot of people. How has that affected your business? Well, certainly, you know, obviously it's been a factor we've had to manage. Uh, it has an impact in costs. Uh, we do have a bit of an offset in terms of some of the international revenues that we have, uh, which has helped to offset the impact of uh, the currency movement. But in terms of the uplift in costs, we've uh, dealt with that uh, in a number of manners, uh, ways, uh, dealing with the negotiating with suppliers but also in terms of pricing in store where we may have to have increased uh, prices in certain instances but we've had uh, made sure that there's a range of product uh, provide value to customers and they've always got a choice at a price point that suits them. How sensitive do you feel like customers are to prices in this kind of environment particularly domestically I think where consumer confidence although it's almost an impossible metric to measure a lot of people will agree that it has sort of you know, collapse this year a little bit. Yeah, and I'm sure uh, you know prices in the in the most general sense of uh, will influence cu- customer sentiment. But the core of the quiz offering is all about value to customers in terms of establishing a price point that uh, will provide value to them and uh, will draw them into store and will give them a product at a price that, uh, that they're comfortable with. But more importantly, a product that they want uh, when they want it uh, in terms of that so it's about balancing those factors up yeah i mean customers demands i think are another big challenge for retailers particularly as the industry evolves people want things now they want it yesterday almost um and a lot of big names john lewis being one that pops into my mind at least um have said that trying to balance those demands has been increasingly costly and it's been hurting the rest of the business how do you go about balancing the demands of your customers whilst not trying to sink yourself into financial ruin by sort of, you know, unsustainable distribution? Well, I think there's uh, two aspects to that, as we touched upon in terms of the supply chain, uh, in terms of the broader question of uh, having been fleet of foot and a short supply chain to respond to customer demand. In terms of the logistics of customers uh, wanting a product next day or even in a shorter time scale, we provide a variety of options to customers. There is free delivery over a certain amount, there is next day delivery available to them, but uh, they can also click and collect in store, which is very important for us in terms of customers being able to order and collect in store the next day. So uh, we need to be uh, flexible and uh, we'll continue to be that way with customers. And it's not just their demands. I think it's 
it's crucial and it's been the undoing actually of a lot of retailers who have lost sight of exactly who their customers are and I know that Sharaz you've already sort of discussed roughly what the product sort of appeals um, in terms of what you've got on offer but if you could sort of nail a couple of specifics about your customer what do you think they are and how do they compare to the customers that are going to places like ASOS and Boohoo instead? Well we, we target a sort of 16 to 35 year old um, uh, fashion conscious customer and, and our, our customer is always looking for latest trends, new products, exciting product but our customers coming to us for for um, not for basics, not for general fashion but for glamorous going outwear and uh, we can see that because uh, you know the, the the types of good the types of products we offer are different to some of the pure plays that you mentioned there in that uh, we're much more occasion focused and occasion orientated. Yeah, I mean, you've also described yourselves as kind of the omni-channel version of Boohoo and ASOS. And what I'd quite like to get into as well is um, you've you've said in the past that obviously you, you've worked through concessions and your own stores, but the own stores, from what I understand, the costs on that, I mean, it's well documented now that that has been driving a lot of other more traditional retailers into the ground. Yeah. But we've talked about your sort of model in terms of how you operate those leases in quite a short manner. What sort of flexibility do you think you have on that side of the business? Well, as I mentioned, we We've got a very flexible uh, and low-risk uh, approach to all the channels that we operate in, and, and we've achieved that through stores by mainly, operating mainly in five-year leases. So we're not exposed to upward-only rent reviews. We've got an average two-and-a-half-year lease exposure across the estate, so every year we can review stores and we can um, uh, open and close stores depending on uh, the way the market's moving. We're not that heavily represented in stores. We've only got about 80 standalones across the UK and Ireland, if you include the, the new ones in the pipeline. I think the, the retailers or brands that are struggling are the ones that have got large estates, they're stuck in legacy leases, they're in bad locations. Um, we're, we're, we're quite happy with our store estate and with other locations and we see opportunity to expand that. And although we're doing that, um, you know, long term, as Jerry mentioned, the biggest growth is going to come from international online. So that's really where the thrust of the resource is going. Let's talk about expanding internationally because it's been again a tripping up point for even players like ASOS who arguably lead the market they uh, they didn't really get their Chinese stuff off the ground um, what is it do you think are the sort of the main pitfalls that you have to look out for when you're thinking about entering a new international market well, I think you have to do your homework you have to do your research um, you have to understand that every market is different and uh, we've uh, we've had experiences of, of moving to various markets, and uh, it's taken time to get those right. But uh, we've got a very um, we've got a very successful inter- international business now. And uh, as Jerry mentioned, we're expanding into quite a lot of new territories. I think the the advantage that we have is that because we're an omni-channel brand, we've got the advantage of different routes into markets. So when we look at new markets, we can choose the best uh, best opportunities that are there. So, for example, in some markets, we may be trading purely online. Other markets, we may be trading through a mixture of standalone stores and online or department stores. So that flexibility allows us to have a sort of tailored approach to each market. Also, with our product range, we've got a flexible uh, and dynamic product range. We've got our occasion wear. We've also got our casual wear which is quite dressy in, in its nature. And in some territories, we find that occasion wear is, is very strong. In other territories, it's more casual wear-led. And with our short lead times, our flexible supply chain, we can um, capitalise on those market demands in each territory. So I think having that uh, flexible um, route into market and having the flexible product range is really 
uh, essential and is really uh, is really what has allowed us to be successful in the markets that we're in today. I'm interested in the value you still see in department stores, particularly abroad, because obviously the decline of the US mall, the US department store has been well documented mm-hmm. in the last 12 months or so. Maybe you don't see the US as a predominantly department market sort of destination. But even in this country, you, you are operating through Debenhams, um, which is a big department store here. How do you feel like the future of those sorts of retailers um, will add value to a, to a company like yours? Well, I think the advantage of, of um, trading in department stores is that sometimes that we operate in, we may not um, may not may not want to operate a standalone store in some smaller towns. However, if there's a strong a strong department store like a Debenhams or a House of Fraser, we're quite happy to trade there. So that gives us good coverage alongside a store estate to complement a store estate. Really, as we are opening locations across the UK, I think every every company has to has to keep adapting and have to keep changing to. The, the changing market. Um, fashion retail is uh, a very fast-changing industry. And I know brands like Debenhams and, and um, other department stores are going through a period of change. And uh, we believe that these companies are very strong and, and long-term, that their offers are quite relevant. And we'll be on that journey with them. Two of the biggest advantages I see of department stores are Click and Collect and Footfall, mm-hmm. um, which are, you know, Footfall in particular has been a real challenge for just people operating on the high street in their own units. Is that something that you see um, versus your own sort of 80 independent units? Well, we, we actually have traffic counters in all our stores. We've actually been seeing traffic um, increasing on previous year, and that's because of the increased marketing that we're doing. I think the advantage of department stores is that they've got a very strong offer, so they've got a cluster of brands available, and obviously it's a it's a destination uh, shopping environment for the entire family. So department stores, um, the trading environment is obviously very different to um, a standalone store in a shopping centre, and there's advantages of, of of being there. But because we've got that omni-channel model, we've got uh, we feel we've got the best of both worlds in having a mix of department stores, a mix of our own stores, but keeping the relationships very flexible and. And uh, uh, very um, very adaptable. You've got some very interesting people on your management team, but the one that really sort of piqued my interest was Peter Cowgill, who listeners of this podcast may or may not remember is also the chairman of JD Sports, um, another very good retailer that's performed well this year in a difficult market. What is it do you think that Peter brings to the table? Yeah, we've got to know Peter well over the last few months in terms of going through the process. Uh, He obviously brings a vast amount of experience in terms of a high growth environment, uh, a business that's expanded internationally, a business that's managed to maintain uh, and control its margins over that period as well. Uh, So he brings that experience to us. He brings that uh, insight to us uh, as well as... uh, helping uh, shape the growth of the business over the next few years. So we're looking forward to working with them. Yeah, and obviously you've got um, a trading update on the horizon, which I'm pretty sure will mark your first set of numbers as a public company. What do you think? I mean, I'm aware that you probably can't tell us much of what's in there for sensitivity reasons, but what do you think that your investors, particularly the institutions that perhaps took part in the IPO, will be keen to look out for? Yeah, well, I think there's uh, two things there. I think in terms of uh, in meeting the investors prior, prior to the IPO, we set out our plans for growth in each area, uh, which uh, varying degrees of uh, growth ambitions. But we're looking for very strong growth on our online uh, 
side uh, in the current year. Uh, so I'm sure they'll be interested in an update on our progress there, as well as uh, we set out our uh, plans for the next 18 months or so to those investors in terms of the actions we would take to achieve that growth in the current year and put the building blocks in place uh, for the next couple of years. And we're looking forward to updating them on uh, our progress on that. Yeah, I mean, the shares, interestingly, although they trade highly and uh, arguably on a premium rating compared to the rest of the general retail sector, they're considerably cheaper than ASOS and Boohoo, but which perhaps there's an argument to say that having a physical store estate helps dilute that valuation and make it a bit more accessible now for retail investors. Is that something that you'd agree with? Yeah, no, I think, uh, yes. Uh, you know, the the uh, valuations you talked about, obviously, have been uh, driven by... The, the nature of those businesses, the growth have achieved. Um, we've obviously we're a different uh, offer at the moment in terms of that omni-channel uh, offering, uh, uh, but certainly the mix and the emphasis of the business will change over time uh, in terms of uh, to be more um, similar to those businesses. Yeah, um, I mean, the, the valuation to me screams the most comparison actually to Ted Baker that's and Supergroup. Um, both of which are omni-channel businesses as well. Is that the sort of company that you would see yourself perhaps more aligned with, albeit perhaps sort of slightly down the value chain? I I think we are quite unique in in terms of our our position. You know, there are some similarities to some brands you mentioned, like Ted Baker, for example, and as they've got an omni-channel structure. However, we're operating the fast fashion value sector, which is obviously a high growth sector, which is um, where some of the pure plays have been uh, performing very well. And so we, we are in that fast fashion value sector with an omni-channel um, route to market. So we're quite unique and we, we believe we sit somewhere in between the, the different brands you've mentioned there. Well, that's great. Thank you very much, both of you, for joining me today. Stay tuned for more company podcasts later in the year.